Hello, this is Intersection. As the population of immigrants in Missouri and the Midwest has continued to increase, researchers and community organizers are hosting conversations on how to welcome newcomers into the region. The University of Missouri's Cambio Center has for 16 years hosted a gathering of researchers and organizers on immigration, changing communities, and surrounding issues for people of color in the Midwest. The Cambio Center is currently celebrating its 15th anniversary with a series of programs. You can see more about those at kbia.org and at the center's most recent Cambio de Colores conference, which took place back in the summer. We sat down with a few of the coordinators and researchers there to discuss challenges and trends in immigration in the Midwest and why connecting the researchers, organizers, and ideas is so important right now. First up, we spoke with Veronica Perez-Picasso, the Cambio de Colores Conference Coordinator. She told us these are turbulent times for Latinos and recent arrivals to the Midwest. Here's our conversation. How does the research better the lives of immigrants in Missouri? Well, the, the idea is to share this information. It, it's difficult because many times a lot of the research that happens, uh, people in the community don't know about it because usually the people that read these um, articles and that come to these conferences are people that are also part of faculties and researchers so they don't um, the only people that share this is this group of people the idea of the cambio de colores conference is to bring practitioners as well so they can see what researchers are doing and try to um, for them to learn what what is work what what is going on the research that's happening so they can bring it back to their communities and share it because uh, unfortunately there's that division many times between researchers faculty um, university setting and the community so the idea is to build that to create that bridge the theme this year for the conference is welcoming immigrants and newcomers in turbulent times knowledge connections and action so even that title tells us that it's not only learning about what's going on but creating those connections to continue the work and also after that connection and that collaboration see how this work can be taken out to the communities. Why turbulent times? Well, right now it's a very difficult time for a lot of immigrants. Um, in the U.S., There's a lot. Uh, there have been a, a lot of cases where they have been targeted, um, be it by racial discrimination or um, also, you know, gender discrimination. And so, uh, we feel that there is a need to talk, to talk about these subjects and to share what can they do to protect themselves? What can they do to, to make this uh, a stronger community for, for them to be able to go out and access health care, go out to um, find out what are their rights? And a lot, because many of these communities, they arrive to these areas where um, they don't, they've never had people from other countries um, or Latinos and so they feel um, excluded and so the idea is for them to realize that there are things that are available for them and that they should be acknowledged as part of that community. And do you see solutions and connections and empowerment to some of these um, immigrants that may feel pressures um, coming out of these kinds of get-togethers? I think there are I, I think it, it's it's a trickling down effect. Little by little, they learn about things that are going on. Um, and I think 
sometimes we don't know that there are resources out there available. And so having these kinds of conversations between practitioners and researchers can give that opportunity for everybody to know that there is there is a community out there. There are resources out there. And I know it's difficult sometimes, and, and, and I, I noticed that. I worked a lot with community members, Latino community members in this area, and they feel very excluded from the rest of the society. And it's really difficult for them to realize that there are resources. So the idea is to make to see, help them understand that there are resources, that there are people that are out here trying to help and trying to um, encourage collaboration. What would you tell to some of our Latino and other immigrant um, listeners that are part of our community? What would you tell them that you hope that they, they know? One of the things that I noticed here in Colombia is many community members feel that the university is not a space for them. They feel excluded. And I want them to realize that it's not. It's another space for them. It's a space where they can um, learn many things, that they can share their experiences. There uh, are professors, there are researchers, there are students um, that want to hear these stories. We have uh, many students, uh, some of them work for the Cambio Center and some work in different areas of the university that come from an immigrant background or are Latinos. And they need to know that they're that there are these communities out there that they can that they feel identified with. So they should look at the Cambio Center website, follow along, go to events, maybe stop by and say hello? Absolutely, yes, definitely. Would you say there is an increasing immigrant population in Missouri and in the Midwest? Yes, definitely. There's certain areas that are there's a larger in, um, increase than others, but and it's not only we're not talking about only cities. There are rural um, areas in Missouri that the the Latino population has increased considerably. It's considerable the the change that has happened, and so it's important to, for people to know that these communities are needed um, because it's not only a change of demographics; it's also a change of of the population. Uh, the number of of young students um, that are are going towards the university, um, the number of white students is lower. And, and the population of Latino students is higher. So it's important that not only the community, but also the university is aware of these changes because that's who will be part of the university in the future, more students of um, immigrant families and um, Latino students. You are listening to Intersection on KBIA. I'm Janet Saidi. We just heard from Veronica Perez Picasso at the Cambio de Colores Conference. She told us about the importance of studying and discussing strategies for welcoming recent arrivals and immigrants to Missouri and the Midwest. Next up, a conversation with Dr. Deborah Bolton. Bolton is Director of Intercultural Learning and Academic Success at Kansas State University. She's done a lot of research on intercultural learning and exclusionary practices and biases in education. The answer for teachers, she says, is self-awareness. Here's our conversation. 
Deborah, what are you here to present on? You're doing a panel on the student experience. Um, can you give me a little bit of a preview on what you're going to be discussing? Uh, I, I'll give you some background first. For the past uh, 20 years, I've been doing multicultural, multilingual research in Southwest Kansas, where there are anywhere 36 languages and dialects and lots of different countries represented. So I'm actually applying that uh, research now in my new position and um, with Kansas State University. And so today I'm gonna talk about, are we creating safe and welcoming uh, campuses for our students? And you know, of course I'm thinking of students of color because the students of color have the most challenges only because there has historically been exclusionary acts to keep uh, people of color out of the university uh, system. And there are still people that think that students of color don't traditionally seek higher education. The, but actually the tradition is the exclusionary practices that keep them from seeking higher education. And so I'll be talking about that. Are we still in reactionary mode? Are we actually moving the needle on into fully integrating students of color into the university systems, into higher education, not just university systems, in higher education? And so my workshop is actually a very interactive two-way workshop because I'll be talking about some of my experiences, but I will be inviting the participants to also talk about their experiences in the students that we're working with. Uh, one of the people that I work with, one of my colleagues at a different university said, are, they, are universities or higher education still hiring people of color to quote unquote deal with people of color? And we're hoping that it's gone beyond that. So that's what I'll be talking about today. What do you hope that people get from this discussion that you're going to have in this small group discussion about the student experience? Do you think there will be some surprises for you or for the participants? Well, mostly I, I am garnering information about what other universities are doing. I've been doing that for a little while now. And um, I don't know. I would like to see some surprises. I would like to see that there are higher institutions of higher education that are actually fully integrating the students. And it's still not, we're still not talking about quote, diversity and inclusion, end quote, that we're just saying all the students are here, they're, they're welcomed and, and feeling like they're part of this higher education systems, that they feel like scholars, that they feel like students, that they feel like all the things that they're seeking for higher education and in the outcome being a globally marketable students and workers eventually after they retire. What are the challenges to that happening? What are the challenges that you see in your research? And also, if I can ask you a double-barreled question here, because they might be related, what do people, what are the misperceptions people have about students of color? What are the myths? The myths are that they're not prepared. Uh, the myths are that they're not going to do as well. The myths are that um, and I'm talking about academic performance. The myths are they're just not ready to be here. And there are all these myths, but keep in mind, my research shows that these are institutional, and, and, I, and I go to institutions beyond the university. It's the institutions of government, 
uh, whether it's local, state, or national, or international, that there has been a long history of exclusion. Um, those, those exclusionary practices are actually put into law in some cases. If you think of redlining, the sundowner laws, um, all of those laws that were put into place by people who came and uh, more or less took over the land. So exclusionary practices have been going on for a long time, so long that some people don't understand their own biases in that way. They think that's just how it is. And um, that's one of the things that the conference, Cambio de Colores, addresses. I've been coming for 10 years, and I still think it's one of the best conferences that I've been attending for my 25-year academic um, uh, career. And I, you know, I continue to see that we're addressing these, these uh, issues and concerns together, and we keep coming up with new things, and we're still working on our own integration into the mainstream of university leadership. Have you been integrating these practices into your work at K-State? My position's only about six months new, and uh, the process to create this position uh, is, like I say, a, a year in the making. So we're seeing a lot of these new positions created across the uh, academic um, higher education, I should say, and even in uh, for-profit organizations, still creating positions that address quote-unquote diversity and inclusion. Um, I don't think we've been doing this long enough to say, okay, we've really moved the needle. I know there are some universities uh, in other states that actually have it as a certificate. They call it co intercultural competency. They're, um, until it's integrated into every discipline across the academy, we'll, we probably won't see great movement across disciplines yet, but I, I think that's our goal. What would you say to a professor, student, administrator at University of Missouri? I know it's hard to probably put into a few sentences, but what does success look like and what can we do sort of on the ground as teachers and citizens? I think self-awareness of where your own ideas come from um, I always like the socio-ecological model by Yuri Bromfenbrenner to say, "Okay, this is this is the family I'm grown into. This is this is these are the spheres of influence that I've had along the way. This is why I think the way I do." Self-awareness is the big thing, and then you can move beyond that and learn about others. So be aware of self and aware of others, and that is a good starting point because that's what makes us think okay, we're all humans, we're all in this human race, and, and you know, I know that sounds utopian and everything, but it's a way for us to just be aware of ourselves and why we think the way we do and what our semantics are and being aware of others. You're listening to Intersection on KBIA. I'm Janet Saidi. We just spoke with Dr. Deborah Bolton, who is Director of Intercultural Learning and Academic Success at Kansas State University. Bolton presented her research on the experiences of students of color at the Cambio de Colores Conference this past June. Earlier, we spoke with Veronica Perez-Picasso, who is the Cambio Center Coordinator. You can hear more of that conversation and a lot of others at kbia.org. 
We also sat down with Stephen Janetta to talk about strategies for welcoming immigrants and newcomers to Missouri and the Midwest. Janetta is the director of the Cambio Center at the University of Missouri. In this conversation, we spoke about the research of Nicole Novak. She presented data about birth outcomes among infants born to Latina mothers impacted by a major immigration rate. Jananda says connecting this kind of research and information among academics and organizers can lead to better awareness and resources in communities. What do you hope that happens here and that people come away with? So that we typically have a couple of goals for the conference. One is to kind of build a network of people that are doing this kind of work so that we're all um, able to uh, there's a lot of support that you get from working with folks in, in some of these areas. A lot of folks are working at institutions or in communities where they might be the only one interested in immigrant health care or um, education or um, economic development. And, and so having uh, a place where they can connect others that are doing some other kinds of things, learn from each other, uh, tap into the research that's going on, and um, you know, contribute and, and be part of the network is a real important part of it. The talk we just saw was at Nicole Novak. Yeah, the, she's neat. She's actually been coming for a number of years, and um, she's doing a lot of really interesting work in terms of how you know immigration uh, policy and enforcement affects. Uh, People. Her statistics on things like infant mortality rates going up after a raid in Postville, Iowa. Those are really stunning and it shows the sort of pictures that research can present for us on the reality on the ground. How does that kind of research translate into change or benefits on the ground from this kind of conference, if at all? So I think she did a nice example of that herself and she talked about um, how you can respond, you know, the, the most direct response would be to to have immigration reform and so people understand the rules more clearly and they have a path towards resolving their, their particular issues. And, and then the other is just, uh, providing support to people as, as those kinds of things are going on. And so her work is a really good example of how her research and understanding about the issues as they're happening really kind of illuminate what the, the challenges are to communities, but also then kind of show a path forward in terms of what communities can do to, to, to address them. Why are these conversations and these connections important to have in Missouri right now? Well, I think the conversations are important in Missouri because we have a lot of really diverse places in Missouri right now. Um, we have some some communities that are uh, remote, rural, that have people there that live, speak six, eight, sometimes a dozen different languages, and you know things, basic services like translation and accessing things like healthcare and getting your kids into school, all that kind of stuff can become really challenging when you have these cultural and linguistic differences that make it really tough for people to communicate with each other. Another uh, slide from Nicole Novak's presentation and some of her research shows that a lot of the uh, immigration enforcement happens in rural areas. That's where the meatpacking plants are. Yeah, that was new for me. I, uh, uh, she had pointed out that recent raids have only been happening in rural communities and that um, 
farther from immigration lawyers, farther from all kinds of resources, advocacy. And then the, the, the impact on those communities is really devastating because uh, it's a, sometimes it's a large part of the workforce and so uh, many of the families are, are blended, meaning that some of them are immigrants, some of them are not, some of them are uh, documented, some of them are not. And what it just does is, in those locations is create a, a, a sense of fear amongst a large portion of the population and it causes all kinds of disruptions, both economic and social, that a lot of little smaller communities really have us, will really struggle to recover from. Nicole uh, mentioned that ICE raids on workplaces uh, with 50 or more arrests went, went up 400 percent in 2018. It's hard to find kind of positive solutions when what you're doing is reacting. What, what do you think of that? Uh, is, is, is a lot of the mode in rural areas particularly um, with welcoming diverse communities in response mode? It's true. The Responding to a raid at a, at a community level is very difficult to do, and it, what it does do is it creates this, this sense of dread amongst the population. The employers feel it, the workforce feels it, you know, it's devastating to families, it's, and um, it just really is hugely disruptive. Preparing for that I don't think is something anybody really knows how to do. What we've seen done uh, that's um, somewhat effective is, is thinking about how you respond once it happens and and that you know that's gets really to how do you support the people that are directly impacted you know the businesses the the workforce the families how do you think about okay well what do we do now you know, um, if you're a business that employs three or four hundred people in a town of four or five thousand and ten percent of your workforce is is taken away from you and half of the rest of them aren't coming back because they're afraid of uh, what's what's happened to them or they're angry or confused really disruptive and so you know how do you help employers figure that out uh, particularly in in areas where it's hard to find people to work and how do you help families figure out how to pay their bills if the primary wage earner is gone for a while or gone for, for forever in some cases. So, um, you know, communities really have to think about, you know, what do we do? Because in Missouri, we have a lot of, there's only four counties in the state that didn't see an increase in their Hispanic population in the last census. Um, some are, many counties are still very small, but some it's a sizable population, and they're they're working in the service industries, they're doing construction, they're doing agro-processing, and some of those kinds of things, light manufacturing. They're working in jobs where, uh, in, in particular in rural areas, where employers are really struggling to find people to work, and so they come from all over the place. They're attracted to these communities because they're safe. They can get their kids educated. Um, a lot of them are migrating from places like California and Texas where they're concerned about their kids being in gangs and don't seeing those kinds of things. Um, uh, mostly they want to they work and um, that's the primary reason why they come. And uh, they really like the communities which they're moving in. I've done quite a bit of research around that and their relationship to these places is very positive for the most part. But, you know, they struggle in terms of finding their own space there, 
So the immigrants are really good at connecting to each other and carving out a space for themselves, but in terms of interacting and connecting to the broader community, it's a struggle. And um, a lot of it is communication. Uh, in our research, we've seen that the both the receiving community and the newcomer communities want to be better integrated, but sometimes they just don't know what to do or how to do it. And so we've looked at things like leadership development. We've looked at things like um, creating public spaces where people interact with each other. Uh, maybe festivals are all can be helpful. But if you do those things, you have to be consciously doing it Thinking about how you have a multicultural festival where you're actually connecting people to each other. Because what, what often happens is you might have a, a, a multicultural festival where you get people from different groups there, and the only ones from those different groups that show up are the people that have their own little booths or entertainment thing, but they're not part of the participants. So how do you get people participating? So they're interacting with folks like you and I at the community level and learning a little bit more about how they do that. That's fascinating. So a multicultural festival can be one solution or one thing that can kind of ease the process and the integration, the um, community building. Uh, are there other things that you can think of? In one community, they, they, they wanted to do a resource fair because the research was showing and what we were hearing from people was they just didn't know where to, how to get basic services. The city wasn't all that accessible. They didn't have people that spoke Spanish and nobody in law enforcement spoke Spanish. And um, it didn't mean that they didn't want to help or so they just didn't know how. There wasn't, a, there wasn't a place that people could go where they felt safe to, to do that. And so we worked with uh, over about six months, put together a resource fair and it was really successful that first time. We had 400 people come. Yeah. Where was this? That was down in Branson. And the population there of Latinos at that time was about 1,200. So we had nearly a third of the population show up for that fair. And the most integrating part of that was the actual putting it together. Because we ended up with a planning committee of really diverse people from all over the city that, that worked together on that. And um, they did it two more times the second year. We didn't have as many the second year, and the third year it was smaller, but you would expect that, right? If it's working, people don't need to come back. I can believe that it was the preparing for the fair that really oh, made more of a difference than the fair. It was, it was interesting, because we had a couple city council people, we had a, a chief of police, and we had uh, you know folks that were running parents' as teachers' projects, a couple people doing tax returns, but really helping facilitating access to resources. We had a lot of diverse folks involved in that. Um, we had it catered by a local restaurant and radio station was real involved. So it was a really, just the planning of it was an opportunity for folks to get out of their safe spaces and meet and interact with folks they didn't know. And it, they actually now have a little nonprofit that they're they're doing that that they formed out of that group. One of the things I've really liked about this conference over the years, and I've been lucky enough to be part of all of them so far, and it's our 18th, is it is what we call a community of practice, and it's because we have folks that are interested in research. We have people that are policymakers at their community level, or providing services, or their students, and they're all really interested in in understanding better you know how how to make their communities more 
integrated, how to get make them safe for everybody, how to uh, make sure that the resources they provide are accessible to people that they should have them. And it's really kind of created a, a support system for folks that are doing that kind of work, as well as a learning environment. That was Stephen Janetta, director of the Cambio Center at MU, talking with us about how to welcome immigrants and newcomers to our communities and how sharing research and data can strengthen networks in these communities. We also heard from Dr. Deborah Bolton and Veronica Perez-Picasso. That's it this week on Intersection. This show was produced by Sydney Steele, also with help from Bill Finn and Olivia Love. You can listen to these conversations and more at kbia.org. I'm Janet Saidi. Thanks for listening.